0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Cool. So we are reading from Matthew 1, uh, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about.
1: to be with you this morning, especially if you're visiting or a guest, lovely to, to have you. Thanks for coming. My name's Steve. We're thinking about what is the true meaning of Christmas, and uh, I wonder what you'd say. is the true meaning of Christmas? Let me uh, put things in broad brush strokes. I think there's two main answers, isn't there? The first answer is uh, that the meaning of Christmas, you might call it the modern, secular answer is dial Jesus down, dial the festivities up. Summary. We've outgrown the Christmas story, we don't believe those primitive stories, but we do want to celebrate family, being together, enjoying the lights, shopping, presents, food, visiting Santa. So the true meaning of Christmas is family and being together and Santy. And if you really push some people, they'd go further still and say, not only have we just outgrown the Christian Christmas story, we actually do need to dampen it down because if you take the Christian origin stories a bit too seriously from the Bible, and well, we live in a pluralistic society, and we don't want to exclude people, and all people must be accepted, and, so let's not take it too seriously. Let's take the Christ out of Christmas. That's the modern answer. Dial the festivities up. Dial Jesus down. And because, friends, we live in the world we live in, driven by consumerism, consumption, distraction, and stress, it's easy for that to be our Christmas. You can just get swept along. Dial Jesus down, dial the festivities up. So, what would it mean to dial Jesus up? Well, that's the second answer. The traditional Christian answer is that we let the wonderful story of Jesus' birth fuel all the exciting activities. Christmas is about the story of the birth of Jesus and everything mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. We have angels, heaven coming down to earth, and maybe we still put an angel on the top of the tree. We have Mary. The wonderful, special, celebrated mother of Jesus. What a role she has. Blessed is she among women. And blessed is the child she will bear. We have the virgin birth. Which is amazing. And wonderful. And of course, there's been no end of debate about whether it's true. But as Glenn Shrivener, who did that fantastic video, put it. Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. And then we have the baby itself. And he was given three names. Messiah, the long-awaited saviour king of the Jews. Jesus, the one who will save us from our sins. And Emmanuel, God with us. Ah, yes. Friends, that's the true meaning of Christmas. Wonderful, glorious, to be pondered, to be rejoiced in. And let all that fuel every fun activity you can think of. Don't just... It's not about dialing the activities down. It's dialing Jesus up so he is the motive for all our celebrations. I hope that's our Christmas. That we dial Jesus up and he fuels all our celebrations. Is there someone missing? Joseph. Maybe it's just me, but how many times do we ever think carefully about Joseph and his role in the birth of Jesus? I want to reflect on three things Joseph tells us about the meaning of Christmas. He's going to teach us the true meaning of justice and righteousness. He's going to teach us the value of quiet obedience. And he's going to teach us the surprising yet short purposes of God in history. The true meaning of justice and righteousness are the same word in Hebrew and Greek. And verse 19 says, because Joseph, her father, was faithful to the law. But if you look in your Bible, there's a footnote. And it says, because he was righteous or because he was a just man. You see, Joseph was in a predicament. His wife was pregnant and he wasn't the father. Well, who was? Who had Mary had sex with? How would you feel if you discovered your future wife had had sex and got pregnant by another man ahead of your wedding day? Verse 18 says he's pledged to be married. Betrothal had far greater implications than modern-day engagement. Betrothal could only be ended by divorce. Marriage in the ancient world and in certain cultures today had three main steps. Step one was arrangement and agreement by parents and families. Step two was betrothal, where part of the dowry was given and the legalities were formalized. And then step three was the wedding day and the consummation with sexual union. Steps one and two had happened, but not step three. Or step three had happened with another man. Hence why it's considered adultery back then. Mary was an adulteress and therefore according to Roman and Jewish law, he should divorce her. He was required to divorce her to maintain his honor. If he was truly just and righteous, he would divorce her according to the law. And at best, after Mary had been divorced, the community would shun her. She'd be isolated, lonely, unprotected, and unable to marry again in a culture dominated by men. At worst, her community might stone her. Mary in the culture's eyes was a disgrace and her future and her safety were now not guaranteed. And Joseph knows all this. And that is why he goes on to say, not only was he just and righteous or faithful to the law, what does it say in verse 19? He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Imagine being Joseph. We know the story, he didn't. The intense emotions, the conflicting emotions. Look at verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. After considering divorcing Mary quietly, an angel told him to take another path, that she hadn't cheated on him, but Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay, fine. We know how the story goes, but he didn't in verse 19. And so he was considering. What do I do? And that word considered has within it, or could even be translated, anger. Fuming, upset, doesn't that make sense? On the one hand, his marriage had failed before it had started. He was experiencing the pain of betrayal and the agony of rejected love. This was humiliating, this was embarrassing, this was hurtful, this was financially draining for him, he'd miss out on the full dowry, and a quiet divorce meant he'd forfeit any financial reimbursement. There was economic loss, reputational ruin, and emotional devastation. And to be true to the law of God and the law of Rome when you divorce her. To maintain your honour as a man in that culture. But on the other hand, he clearly loves Mary and cares for her. And so even though in his current understanding she's an adulteress. And has flagrantly betrayed him prior to their wedding day. He wants to protect her from public disgrace. And secure a future for her. And so he's considering how can I divorce her quietly? He knows the horrible and scary future that awaits Mary, full of shame in an honour-driven male-centred society. What an awful predicament to be in if you're Joseph. What intense emotions he must have had. Oh, how he must have considered and fumed and been angry. What was... The righteous thing to do. What was it to be faithful to God's law? What would God want him to do? And how could you even understand that? Can you make good decisions when your emotions are so skewed from the agony of betrayed love? You see how balanced Joseph's intentions are. He wants to be obedient to the letter of the law. He must divorce her because she committed adultery. But he wants to be obedient to the spirit of the law, which God had said you must love your neighbor. And care for the widow and the vulnerable and the unprotected. Joseph's justness and righteousness reminds us that justice is not merely a matter of fairness, but also mercy. (coughs) Joseph was going to divorce Mary, but wounded though he felt, he would do everything in his power to minimize her shame. His justice was tempered with compassion. Joseph had a higher vision of justice that didn't just come from the law of Moses, but from the Old Testament prophets. Where you must care for the widow and the weak and the vulnerable, and love covers over a multitude of sins. So whilst he would divorce her, he would do it quietly, so to cover her shame. Later in Matthew's Gospel, on two occasions, Jesus would say this to religious leaders: I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus will show us time and time again in the Gospel of Matthew as he interacts with different people, particularly weak, vulnerable, and sinful people. The righteousness is never about shaming people. It's about being sensitive to people's needs, even when, and especially if you are the one that's been wronged. Now, of course, Joseph hadn't been wronged, but he doesn't know all this. He didn't, but he did know that God desired mercy, not sacrifice. So Joseph teaches us the true meaning of righteousness and justice, especially when you're feeling hurt and your emotions are sensitive and tender. Secondly, he teaches us the value of quiet obedience. In this passage, and in every New Testament passage about Joseph, he never speaks. He does a number of vital things in the story. In chapter 1, he overcomes his initial hesitations to marry the questionable Mary. In chapter 2, he's commanded in a dream to flee to Egypt to save his child and the mother. In chapter 2 again, he's instructed in another dream to return to the land of Israel and settle settle in the north of Galilee. In every sense, in every scene, excuse me, Joseph simply acts without speaking. His speech is to do the will of God. We may call him quiet, Joseph. His hallmark is obedience. Prompt, simple, uncomplicated, unspectacular obedience. And again, we learn something about righteousness. Righteousness is just to do the right thing when God tells you to do it. And on doing the right thing, do you know how sexually chaste he is? Do you notice that? Unlike so many men of the ancient world and men today, Joseph remained sexually controlled and faithful, and he waited, saving himself as a virgin for his wife, Mary. He wanted to be hers and hers alone, and then even after their marriage, did you notice, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. He was sexually restrained, honoring his wife and the Lord, not just before marriage, but after marriage, until the baby was born. So him and Mary were both virgins, up to the birth of Jesus. Joseph, without knowing he'd end up in the spotlight of history, very quietly controlled his desires, practiced sexual restraint. He was probably 18 to 20 years old, with all the intense sexual urges that an 18 to 20-year-old man has, and yet he was sexually controlled. And so he provides an example for our modern generation that you can grow up sexually controlled, and that it is not unhealthy or impossible to marry as a virgin. There is great value quiet obedience, just doing what God wants you to do, it's such an important message in our culture where we elevate celebrities and we put everything on social media for the world to see, not Joseph, quiet, unknown, unseen obedience, because he honours the Lord and he honours his wife, not making a fuss, not drawing attention to himself, not counting his reputation as worth protected. he lived for God's honour, not his own. The Apostle Paul would later say to a church in Thessalonica in one, and full of busybodies, he'd say this. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. So your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so you'll not be dependent on anyone. Joseph gives us a wonderful example of this. May we give up illusions of grandeur, friends, and our desire to be seen and to be great and learn simple, uncomplicated, quiet obedience in the service of the Lord and the service of others while we don't even speak. Joseph teaches teaches us the true meaning of justice and righteousness, one that's higher than the letter of the law and captures the the spirit and vision of the law. He teaches us quiet obedience, getting on with what God wants for you without making a fuss or a show. And he teaches us, The surprising yet short purposes of God in history. Contingency in history is always a strange thing if you endure history, but imagine if Joseph hadn't acted like this. What would have happened? Well, Mary may have been shunned at best, stoned at worst. Herself and her baby would have died immediately or probably long term just through uh, being abandoned. But Joseph wanted to protect them, even if he was going to forfeit the right to be father and husband. And if he hadn't taken them to Egypt and then returned another way again, the baby wouldn't have survived. There's vulnerability everywhere in the Christmas story. So without Joseph's quiet, obedient, and merciful justice and courage, there'd be no Christmas story. In this section, Matthew wants to draw attention to his courage, his love, and obedience. Matthew wants to show Joseph for being the hero that he was. But Joseph wasn't trying to be a hero. He was just trying to live a righteous, quiet, and obedient life in service of God. And others. What does this tell you, friends? Christmas tells us the quiet things of this world can make a big impact. The weak things of this world can shame the strong. The ordinary things of this world, a husband and wife fighting for their marriage and the survival <coughs> of a child. Is, that, is there anything more ordinary in life than a husband and wife trying to figure out how to stay together and raise a child that's such a challenge? And yet God uses The ordinary. Challenges of this world, you know, at the heart of his purposes. A baby conceived out of wedlock is the saviour of the world. And there is more. There is more. Jesus is the Messiah. That's what Matthew wants to show. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. And the <clears throat> Messiah is the, the same word in, in Hebrew as in Greek, Christ. They both mean anointed one. And the, the, the anointed king of Israel was to lead the Jewish people and be their deliverer and their lord to rule over them and to be their saviour. And back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 in the Old Testament, God had promised a special king, King David, the greatest of all the Old Testament kings, the one who'd been anointed with oil by the prophet Samuel, that he would have an everlasting kingdom and this Messiah would come from his line. And so do you see verse 20? Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. But as many people actually this Christmas have asked me, how does this work? Mary was not from the line of Joseph, uh, from David, and she's the biological one. And Joseph is, but he's not the biological father. Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So how could Jesus be from the line of Joseph when he isn't the biological dad? Only if Joseph adopts him as his son. Only if Joseph didn't run away at the surprise pregnancy but courageously and quietly sticks with Mary and adopts Jesus as his own son. Even though he was not the biological dad, Joseph says, no, he's my own. And so Jesus, by adoption, becomes the son of David. And so the family royal line is preserved. Without Joseph, the scriptural promises of an everlasting king, a son of David, would have never come about. Without Joseph, we might never know the Christmas story because it might never have happened. And yet he so often gets forgotten because he's so quiet. God's purposes in history are sure, but they are always very surprising. He doesn't act as we would act. His ways are higher than ours. The Apostle Paul would say, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God uses those who quietly get on with just being obedient in his great purposes. Matthew's Gospel starts with a very embarrassing and humiliating pregnancy of a baby not yet born. It cannot have been easy for Mary and Joseph to navigate. And it ends with an embarrassing and humiliation of that same baby. And we're told it pierced Mary's heart deeply. Remember Joseph's anger, fuming over the situation, and yet his anger was repurposed in grace. He wanted to cover Mary's shame and protect her honor and her reputation and her future. Well, like father, like son, Jesus shows us what it is to really be righteous and just. He never put a foot wrong when it came to the letter of the law or the spirit of the law. He was always faithful to God, and that meant loving God and loving others. He showed us what the kingdom was like. It held together things in our world that we can't hold together. Compassion and justice, truth and mercy, love and righteousness, and it brought peace. He's forever covering people's shame and protecting their reputation. This was Emmanuel, God with us. (laughs) Jesus was showing us who God is and what God's kingdom is like, but he's not just Messiah. He's not just Emmanuel. His name was Jesus from the Hebrew Joshua Which means the Lord says she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. It's moving to think, isn't it? Joseph thought Mary was guilty of adultery, and was willing to do all he could to protect her and cover her guilt. Jesus knew each of us was guilty of spiritual adultery. We'd run into the arms of other lovers to find our meaning and satisfaction. We turned away from our great lover God into the things of this world and we had gone into the arms of others before our wedding day with him. We rejected his love, we broke his covenant and we did deserve death. Jesus knew all that and yet in his faithfulness and righteousness, he not only knew the law had to be fulfilled, a penalty had to be paid, the wages of sin is death, he also wanted to cover our shame and he repurposed anger into grace. And when everyone saw him dying on a cross, no one thought God's purposes were mightily at work. The Roman and the Jewish authorities thought they'd won. The, the disciples, the women, and even the Mary, the mother of Jesus, thought they had lost. It was awful. And yet surprisingly, the short sure purposes of God in history are being worked out. God was saving his people from their sins. And with the resurrection of the Jewish Messiah, we saw how great and powerful this eternal kingdom is because it beats death. This is the true meaning of Christmas. The righteous God justifies the unrighteous. The great God humbly and quietly dies on a cross so we can be forgiven. And no one notices what's going on at the cross. Christmas is about the surprising yet sure purposes of God in history. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear and faith to follow, you can join the story. And God will not only save you, he'll use your quiet, unseen obedience in the greatest story that's ever been told. You can be woven in to this story. So what do we do with this, this Christmas? Well, firstly, if you're here today and you're a Christian, please ponder the role of Joseph and go and do likewise. Learn a deeper and bigger vision for justice and righteousness that covers the letter and the spirit of the law. Learn to live quiet lives of obedience, promptly, without fuss and show, just doing what God's asked you to do without making a noise. And trust. Trust the short purposes of God in your slightly boring, often mundane life. You might think, my life is so boring and mundane and insignificant. Why should I bother being obedient to God? It may revolve around your job and your family and your friends. And it all just seems so, "Ah, what's the point? It's so hard. And you might wish for someone else's life. And you might know the pain of betrayal and the hurt of unrequited love as Joseph felt. Do not despair. Trust Keep acting quietly and faithfully and trust the surprising yet sure purposes of God in history. You never know how your quiet obedience might be used by God. Trust. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're not sure where you stand with Jesus, we have two messages for you. The first one is, we're just delighted you're here. We want to get to know you regardless of what you believe or whether you become part of this church. We really mean that. We're just chuffed that you're here. That's our first message. Our second message to you is become a Christian. What's stopping you? Jesus is the Messiah. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's come to save us from our sins. If you know you're resisting Jesus in any way, whether you were a Christian, are a Christian, or not sure, give in today. Become a Christian. Friends, there's nothing more important in life than to know you've been forgiven from your sins. That's what the Jewish Messiah came to do. How was he going to save his people? Not by kicking off the Romans, but by dying on a cross at the hands of the Romans to save us from a far greater peril than external enemies, but an eternal enemy of sin and death. There's nothing more important in your life than to be saved from your sins. Jesus was born and given the name Jesus because he was going to save people from their sins. This Christmas, respond to Jesus by becoming a Christian. Why not? best decision you'll ever make. That's my prayer for you. Let me pray and we'll sing a couple of carols to finish. Why don't you stand with me while I pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to reflect on the birth of Jesus and particularly on the role of Joseph. We thank you for how he shows us and how his son, Jesus, would show us the true meaning of righteousness and justice. We thank you, Jesus. He met all the requirements of the law. He was both just and the justifier. He saved us from our sins. We thank you that Joseph shows us the value of quiet, unseen obedience. May we learn such obedience to honour you and to honour those we love. And we thank you, Lord, that your purposes in history, though, we cannot conceive them. They're often confusing. We're not sure why. They are sure. To so help us to keep trusting you this Christmas and always, that you are working out your purposes and our quiet obedience can be used in mighty ways. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.